What a great day to be together as God's people. We're coming to a passage in John 7 that is very familiar in terms of the words that Jesus said, but it's set in a very interesting context, which I will explain in a minute. But open your Bibles to John 7, verse 37, where I will read from 37 to 39. If you don't have your Bible, you can pull the Blue Pew Bible out or follow along in the bulletin. Let's stand for God's holy word to be read. Again, John 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, this is your holy word. And as a church, your church, we stand upon it, upon every word of it. Though our culture moves in a different direction. Oh Lord, by your grace and for your glory, we do not want to conform to the patterns of the world. Lord, we do not desire to take parts of Scripture out, even though publicly they're not popular. We long to stand on each and every word of your holy text. We trust it, for it is God-inspired. It is God-breathed. It is your very word to us. And Lord, as we stand on that, we hear that Jesus has said, Come to me, all who thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come. Lord Jesus, we are thirsty people. And so we pray that you would indeed come through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit and quench that thirst. Satisfy us, Lord. Give us a taste for you that would cause us to thirst even more. You can do this, Lord, and alone you can do this. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, mothers, what a Mother's Day. Mother's Day, 2015. Many of you woke after being promised that you could sleep in to children jumping in your bed because the thunder was loud and the tornado sirens were going off. At least I heard them. Just after I was about to take coffee up to my wife, I knew that I was about to leave to come here and she needed to see the news. And so she woke, like many of you, hearing those sirens. I thought for a moment about my own mother, And I thought, you know, the day after I was born, I think my mother heard tornado sirens every day of her life. (laughs) Plans have been made for today. Sons and daughters taking their mothers and grandmothers out. Perhaps you had plans for the outdoors. Maybe it'll be a little bit different. But I'm sure it was centered on a feast at some level. A feast that mothers you were not to make but a feast that was made for you. Some of you received that feast already this morning in bed. And your terror is what does the kitchen look like when you get back home? Feast is a way in which people celebrate the things that matter most. And if you paid attention to the very first verse of this text, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Which feast? If you have your Bible, if not, open the blue one in front of you to John 7. We see the feast that Jesus is speaking about, that John is speaking about. It is called, in verse 2, the Jews' Feast of Booths. 
You can discover this in Deuteronomy 16, where these great feasts were described. I want to talk for a moment about this feast because it's significant. According to Josephus, this feast of booths or feast of tabernacles was the most joyous celebration of all the festivals, of all the feasts that the Jews had. It was a feast that took place at the harvest. It was a feast that went, looked back and celebrated the provision of God. They certainly had the feast of the Passover. They had the feast of Pentecost when they celebrated the giving of the word of the Lord. But this was a feast that celebrated that God was faithful to them when they were in the wilderness. He provided manna daily. He provided water from a rock. So to celebrate this feast, the Jews would actually put up tents on their roofs or in areas, grassy areas, areas of space, so that for seven days as they celebrated this feast, they would live and eat in these tents, remembering the past, remembering the faithfulness of God. And so here, on this last day, this great day of the feast, Jesus really saves his best for last. He stands up and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, Jesus stands up and says, let him come to me. Now, thirst is something common to every human being. But it's really difficult for us to understand how significant thirst was in finding water to meet that thirst for people in this time. People in this, these biblical times, in these ancient times, were actively aware of the pains and perils of being without water. Mothers, imagine if you were taking a journey and you weren't sure where the source of water was, how you would plan for the trip, the questions you would ask, the questions you would want to know about how far will we travel, how much water will we need, rationing the water to make sure you have enough. Thirst was often a a frightening and life-threatening event, as opposed to our modern experience, which is one of temporary discomfort. You know, we walk into a grocery store, and we have brands, beyond brands of water, all lying for our dollar. We have good water that comes right out of the tap. We are abundant in water, and so we don't necessarily connect to this fear, this, this pain, and this peril of making sure we have water. But though Jesus is speaking of thirst, and they would understand what he meant by physical thirst, that is not ultimately what Jesus was speaking about. Jesus was speaking about a thirst that goes beyond the physical. He was speaking about a thirst that has existed in every human being since God created this earth. It is a thirst for meaning. It is a thirst for purpose. It is a thirst for understanding. It is a thirst that is born out of living in a broken world. Adam and Eve, their thirst was met. They were born into a perfect world. But once they sinned, once Eve took some of that fruit, and she took a bite, and she gave some to her husband, and he took a bite, and their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked, they lived now in this broken place. And from the garden, thirst was a common reality, not just physically, but emotionally intellectually, certainly spiritually. Dehydration, physical dehydration, is something that we've all experienced. 
There are times in our life where we just physically get thirsty. The Mayo Clinic gives us this definition of dehydration. Dehydration occurs when you use or lose more fluid than you take in. And your body doesn't have enough water or fluids to carry out its normal function. Now, dehydration can be very minimal. You are thirsty after a run. Or it can be very, very intense to the point where you have to be hospitalized and taking fluids in through your mouth is no longer enough. But you have IVs connected to your body to get fluids flushing through your system. Early in my marriage, my wife and I took a mission trip. We went to Juarez, Mexico from Oklahoma City. We actually drove about 20 high school students and served for nearly two weeks. About 10 days in, my wife got the dehydration that I described in the second way. But it was too far to get to a hospital, and the hospital that was closest wasn't trustworthy. And I sat there looking at my wife in deep dehydration, unable to move, feeling as if she truly was dying, her mouth so dry, her body very much in decay, and her mind very disoriented. The team leader came to me and said, she just needs water. She just needs water. And I kept thinking, no, she needs airlifted. This is a very serious situation. He said, but we've got to get her water. And he just began to pour water over her and demand that she drink and drink and drink and drink. And about 45 minutes later, the woman that I had been married to suddenly came back to be who she was. She was able to focus. She was able to see. Indeed, she just had dehydration. But dehydration kills people, doesn't it? Constantly. They just can't get the fluids that they need. Jesus is talking to us as he stands up on this great day of the feast and he's inviting people to come to him and drink. He is inviting them to come to him and drink of the living water, the kind of water that he described to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. This is more than physical dehydration. It's spiritual dehydration. And for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about what spiritual dehydration is. What are the marks of it? What does it look like? There are a few I'm going to mention. First, dryness. At times, people will describe their spiritual life as dry. Even in the Dennis Jernigan hymn that we just sang a minute ago, when I am dry, you fill my cup. There are people in our midst today who are worshiping, but they would describe their spiritual life as dry. The appetite, the hunger, the thirst for the word of God or to apply the word of God, even though you know it, into every area of your life just doesn't seem to be attractive. You are not doubting that you are a Christian, but you do feel spiritually dry. And people often do. We go through seasons of our life where that can truly happen. It is a sign of spiritual dehydration. There is another sign of spiritual dehydration. And that is the deterioration of the fruit in our life. John will tell us later in chapter 15 that it is to the Father's glory that our lives bear much fruit, so proving that we are his disciples. The fruit that he's talking about, I believe, is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And when we are spiritually dehydrated, those fruits of the Spirit began to be less prominent in our life. We may be able to fake it, we think, for a while, but deep down, there is a lack of joy. 
There is a lack of love. There is a lack of hope. And these fruits of the Spirit began to deteriorate in our life. It's a sign of spiritual dehydration. Another sign of spiritual dehydration is distraction, being disoriented. Much like in physical dehydration, we're so distracted by so many things that we can't clearly see and focus on the one thing. And the one thing is a person. It is the living God. It is Jesus Christ. But our life is so distracted by so many good things, even, that we don't thirst and hunger for the great. These are marks of spiritual dehydration. And the reason those marks exist is because we live in a spiritually dry and arid culture. And so this side of heaven, as we walk, we're walking in a world that is not living according to the word. We're walking in a world that has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. We're walking in a world that is deeply anxious and deeply immoral, deeply evil, willing to just take passages of scriptures, even in places that look like churches and say, we don't believe this anymore. And therefore, the rest of the world shouldn't believe it either. And these are the decisions we should make in our courts as a result of that. And it can create a climate of spiritual dehydration when you grow weary in facing that kind of ridicule, that kind of mocking. That's what we're called to. So spiritually, the marks of dehydration can be dryness, can be a deterioration of the fruit in our life. It can be a distraction and a disorientation. And it can even be doubt. We begin to doubt whether or not Jesus alone is enough. Those are signs, marks of spiritual dehydration. And every Christian walking this side of heaven must be careful to pay attention to those marks in their life. Because along with the marks of spiritual dehydration, we are capable also of masking our spiritual dehydration. And here's what I mean by that. Thirst often is a sign of weakness. When I played football in high school, we had two a days in August in Oklahoma, and it was 105 at 7 in the morning on a cool day. We would be thirsty. But in 1983 and 84 and 85, if you told your coach you were thirsty, it was a sign of weakness. If you admitted you needed something to drink, you could essentially say, I don't want to start. Thankfully, people have begun to understand, and I've understood for some time, that that's ridiculous. People need water. They need fluids. They don't need salt tabs. But that's what we lived in. I think for a lot of us, we think about spiritual dehydration. It's a weakness. In a way, it is. But it's a weakness that we must not mask, but one that we must admit we are experiencing. Because when we experience that dryness, when we experience that deterioration, when we experience the disorientation, and when we experience the distractions, and when we experience the doubt, there is another mark 
of spiritual dehydration. And you know what it is? It's desire. It's desire to have that dryness gone. It's a desire to have that fruit return. It's a desire to be focused again on the one. But for so many of us, we are afraid to admit that is where we are spiritually. And what happens is we mask it. What, what do we use to mask it? And this is interesting. Bibles. And knowledge of the Bible. And Bible studies. And even attendance in a worship service. And ministry. Especially if it's effective ministry. All these good things, which actually are means of grace that, that can, by God's grace, quench our thirst are often used to mask our thirst. In other words, we look like somebody who is carrying around a glass of water that is even half drunk, but we're not really drinking. We're not really embracing. But on the outside, we look like we have it all together. On the outside, we don't look like we are spiritually dehydrated. We're doing the right things and going through the motions. But if someone could see deep into our soul they would see that we're really dehydrated spiritually. They would see that we're really dry. And it's no wonder, because this journey towards heaven, this side of heaven, is like a long walk in the desert. And the Lord, in his grace, gives us moments when we come to an oasis. And when we come to that oasis, he teaches us to drink long and hard. But we live in a culture that really says, don't appear weak. Don't appear needy. Don't appear like you are spiritually dehydrated. And that is of the devil. What I want us to hear today is these very words of Jesus on this last great day of the feast when he stood up and said, if any one thirst, let him come to me. Six months before my wife and I moved to Dallas, it was the summer of 2002, we were in real trouble. Nobody knew it because of all the mask that I just described. I was working full-time for a church called Chesterfield Presbyterian Church, which had a dynamic and effective youth ministry. It had been noted in the denomination, and because of that, I was advanced in people's praise of me. Covenant Seminary, the seminary I went to, noticed and asked me to become the executive director of a new Eli Lilly-funded grant program called the Youth and Ministry Institute. We received $1.2 million from that institution, and if I did everything right, we would receive another half a million about six months later. We had three kids. Two, four, and six. My wife and I, on the outside, looked like we were connecting very well. We had a date night once a week. We went to worship. I taught. She taught. Kids were in our house. The ministry was thriving. All on the exterior, it looked like everything was fine. 
But along with those two full-time jobs, I was also finishing up my ordination exams. Seminary had not been spiritually dehydrating for me as it is for some, but this process of finishing these exams had been. And brothers, sisters, I was not abiding in Jesus the way I needed to be. There was no sense of immorality in my life or anything you could see on the outside, but deep down, I was dry. I was disoriented. The fruit that I described earlier from Galatians 5 was very, very limited. But I didn't know how limited until my wife had a panic attack. And the panic attack happened aboard a 757, leaving Lambert Field for Orlando, where we were just about to take our kids to Disney World. And there on the tarmac, just about to leave the gate, I should say, my wife grabbed my hand and said, I can't breathe. And I looked at her, and she was holding our little boy, Caden, and said what any good husband would say. Breathe. <laughs> if you can't breathe, just breathe. She's like, I can't breathe. Sweet lady named Kathy Spielberg, who was essentially uh, a surrogate grandmother for my kids, was sitting in front of us with the two girls, Kara and Maddie. She didn't know what was going on. I didn't want her to know. Parents is all fine in the Davis household. Christina, come on, the plane's about to leave. I can't breathe. She is scared of flying, but she had never done this. So I hit the flight attendant button. The flight attendant came, and she said, what's wrong? I said, she can't breathe. The flight attendant did not say what I said. She just simply said, let me get her something to drink. We'll delay the flight for a moment. And we did, for about 10 minutes. No explanation to the rest of the people on the plane. But deep down, I knew something was wrong with my wife. My wife was experiencing spiritual dehydration. And her husband was experiencing spiritual dehydration. And we were in real danger. Fifteen minutes later, the flight took off. We landed. Everything was fine. First night in the hotel, about 1130 that night, she grabbed my hand and said, I can't breathe. It's happening again. This time I had to let Kathy know. Kathy came over to our hotel room. And she watched the kids as I took her to the hospital. My wife was so spiritually dehydrated, so worn out from living this life in many ways alone, because I was masking so much. You see, dehydration occurs when you use or lose more fluid than you take in. And I was giving out and using and losing so much of the gospel. But I was doing nothing to take care of my soul. And I had nothing in me to take care of my wife's soul, to even know that she was in trouble. We were in trouble. And we returned. And we wanted to mask it. I wanted to mask it. But we didn't. We admitted, we're in a dry place. We're in a dark place. And these words of Jesus began to strike deep meaning in both of our lives, where Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. My friends, this invitation from Jesus is for you. If you have known Christ a long time, or you're visiting here out of, out of a favor to your mother or grandmother, these words are for you. Come 
to me and drink. Jesus is offering himself, which is this living water. And John goes on to describe it, saying that Jesus begins to speak about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What that means is that all who trust in Jesus Christ really are people transformed who now have God living inside them. And in their hearts, this new heart, because they're new creatures, there is this flow like a river of living water. I want to be clear. I was a Christian before my wife had the panic attack. She was a Christian before she had the panic attack. But Christians can become spiritually dehydrated. I imagine there are many of you here today that might describe yourself that way. It's like the psalmist in Psalm 62. The psalmist cries out, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. He goes on then to speak about a thirst. A thirst that is, is gripping him. Verse 60, or chapter 63 of the Psalms goes on. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This side of heaven, we have seasons in our life like that. And Jesus has come. And what Jesus offers to us in verse 39 is the Holy Spirit. And John tells us, and will tell us much more in the weeks to come, that the Spirit... The Spirit had yet to be given in full because Christ Jesus was not yet glorified. What this means is that the Holy Spirit was still present, still active, even in the Old Testament. But it was episodic. But a day was coming, even as we will soon celebrate Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit would come down, even as Boots beautifully prayed about the Holy Spirit today for these children, for the families, and this church. The Holy Spirit, my friends, if you are a Christian, is alive in you. No matter how dry you feel, no matter how disoriented, no matter how limited the fruit looks in your life, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is alive in you. He illuminates the Word and He illuminates your soul. He convicts and He comforts. He's called the Helper. The Holy Spirit is continual and He's constant. He is protecting you and preserving you as he preserves the inheritance that you one day, Christian, will receive. But ultimately, constantly, the Holy Spirit is pointing us to our Savior, Jesus. The one who says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. Mothers, are you thirsty? Grandmothers, are you thirsty? Husbands, Fathers, are you thirsty? Men and women of this church and children of this church, are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you're visiting today, may this be the first day 
where you hear his invitation. And even as I close in prayer, come to Jesus. It's his invitation. And as the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, here's what we see. We see the man who stood up on the last day of this banquet, the great day of this feast. And as he stood up, he said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. But not many chapters later, Jesus is going to be hung up. And as he is there hanging on the cross, one of the last things Jesus is going to say is, I thirst. And soon after he says, I thirst, he will die. Jesus thirst on the cross. And Jesus died on the cross so that one day you and all who are in Christ will thirst no more. You will live in a land, in a place, a new heavens and a new earth where you will never say, I am dry. You will never say, I'm thirsty. Because all that Jesus promises is here becomes a reality. We experience it now as the Spirit lives in us, but not yet fully. Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for giving us this day where all around us we see your sovereignty in bringing this rain. Oh, Lord, would you come now. Holy Spirit, come and quench that thirst. And Lord, if there are any present in our midst this day who have not trusted you for their salvation, may they even pray for salvation even now, even as I pray, simply confessing their sin and their need for you, asking for your salvation, confessing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, if there are any, I know there are in our midst, who are covering their thirst for fear that others would know and see them as weak, let that lie be destroyed. And let them admit to you first, I'm thirsty. I'm dehydrated. I need you, Jesus. Save us, O Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.